You are listening to the Sojourn Church Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to view a video version of this message, please visit our website, sojournchurch.org. Walking up to the foot bath, to the edge, I was, um, I was expecting to be impressed, uh, even inspired. And as I continued up and I began to see the landscape open out before me, um, something interesting happened. My, uh, my mouth dropped open by itself and a spontaneous laugh came out. It was a, it was a no way, no way kind of laugh. And um, you know, the Grand Canyon had revealed its grandness. How many of you have been there? The Grand Canyon revealed its, gra- its grandness and the reason why it got its name. But, but more than that, joy had come up on the inside of me in an unexpected way. Um, joy is present in our world in many ways. You know, we hold a newborn baby. We get to laugh and be with friends. We get to see incredible uh, dif- displays of creation, like I just described. I mean, you can add your own list to it. Um, but we only receive and an experience joy because it's something that's inherent in God himself. What if the measure of joy that we've been experiencing as a church is just scratching the surface? What if we've relegated it to an emotion that may or may not blow our way when something good happens? And what if God's just inviting us, we're in the middle of a divine invitation out of joy as an emotion into joy as a divine necessity. The fact is we could not experience joy in this world if it wasn't something that was inherent in God himself first. Um, Our personal experiences reflect this, whether it's the magnificent um, display of creation that I've described, um, it's coming out of the overflow of who God is. And you know, all of God's ways and his dealings with us are like the Grand Canyon. All of his ways and dealings with us are like the Grand Canyon. They cause deposits of joy to rise in us unexpectedly. And we get to look out for them everywhere that we live. So for the believer, for us, for you and me, joy is not an emotion that may or may not appear. Instead, it's an attribute of God himself, an outward display of God just being himself. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. But we would not experience joy if it wasn't in him, the original creator. Um, I began to write The Surprising Power of Joy about um, 18 months ago. I had a hunch that the church was going to need to discover new places of joy in the days ahead. Something that God just whispered in my spirit about 18 months ago and so been on a journey of writing and thankfully had some publishers that wanted to run with it. But, you know, this has been an interesting year. But then every year is interesting, right? We always, <laughs> we, always, <laughs> we always get an opportunity to trust God for something. But today, I want us to explore joy together. I want us to launch out and I want us to begin to have him reintroduce joy to us in a new way, to upgrade the lenses that we've been looking through at the Father and that we've been looking at joy. Can we do that together? Um, scripture clearly says in Nehemiah, 810, the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's an announcement, the joy of the Lord 
is your strength. It's a very interesting statement. Um, God's revealing a key to us of something that he wants to be for us in that statement. He could have said the joy of the Lord is your joy. <laughs> he could have said the joy of the Lord is something else, but he said the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's a paradox in the kingdom that joy would actually equal strength. And I think if God is revealing to us a key to greater strength, at this time it's, it might be something that we lean into in a way that we haven't before. Deposits of joy, measures of joy that we haven't encountered before. So um, what if we begin to lean into the God of joy and the joy of God in such a way it would strengthen us emotionally, would strengthen us mentally, it would strengthen us physically, and that we begin to see the circumstances uh, as joyful opportunities to overcome rather than things that are designed to take us out. During, uh, during times of immense intensity in culture like right now that are, that are there to diminish, discourage, and devalue our hope, there's a greater invitation to the church. I'm going to say that again. In times and culture that are there to diminish and devalue and discourage our hope, there's actually a greater invitation to the church to recapture and to claim answers from heaven. And one of those is God's incredible, multifaceted, powerful, unstoppable joy. We're in the middle of a divine invitation to joy. I want us to turn to the book of Romans, if you will, 14, verse 17. It brings joy to the forefront for us. Romans 14, 17, it says this. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, this doesn't just imply that joy is a good suggestion for us, <laughs> but it describes it as a third of the kingdom. So you've got the Apostle Paul here who um, was beaten, shipwrecked, imprisoned, wrote most of the New Testament in prison. When he's writing down a description, when he's choosing analogies which to describe the kingdom, one third he, he uses a description, he, he uses the word joy. That's incredibly revealing. So this passage in Romans 14, they're discussing uh, festivals and, and people putting more prominence on different different festivals and different, different, different things. And he says, hold on a minute, the kingdom's not a matter of eating and drinking, but it's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So not only is the joy of the Lord designed to be your strength, but the kingdom that we've been given to explore, a massive part of it, a massive undiscovered part of it for, for most of us is, is this thing that we call joy. That's in fact inherent in God from the beginning. Um, the kingdom's been given to us to explore. I've said this before, but I cannot get away from this, that we're not called to look at the kingdom through, um, through iron gates as outsiders looking inside a, an incredible um, landscape from behind the doors. But as sons and daughters, as, as children of God, you, are, you already have an all-access access path to be on, on the inside. And you can, you, can, um, you can dream about, think about, look at the things of the kingdom from a distance, or you can scale its mountains, delve its valleys, and, and swim its lakes if you want. Actually immerse yourself 
in the reality, immerse yourself in the tangibility, it's a new word, tangibility of the kingdom, in the tangible kingdom that is righteousness, peace, and righteousness, peace, and in the Holy Spirit. So church, God is to be enjoyed and joy is to be enjoyed. God's to be enjoyed and joy is to be enjoyed. You know, I don't believe God's obligated to make us happy in a cultural sense. I don't believe he's obligated to make us happy, but I do believe he's promised to provide us with joy. And uh, as I began to study and search more on the subject of joy, this word rejoice obviously came up to the forefront in Scripture. And, um, you know, rejoice is not a word that's brimming with cultural relevance. You know, if you wanted to be... uh, (laughs) you kind of want to be in, you don't go around using the word rejoice these days. You know, like, yeah, legit, lit. Yes, rejoice, brother. <laughs> um, but if we break down the word rejoice, it carries some great truths for us. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. It's something that we put on a fridge magnet. It's something we sing songs about as kids. But uh, if we look at that word, that prefix re means to return, right? We hear it in words like rediscover, recapture, refresh. The second part, joyce, comes from the French word for joy, rejoice. And it actually means return to joy. So let's read it again through that lens. Return to the joy in the, return to joy in the Lord. And again, I say, return to joy. So where where have you been? Where where have you and I been? So he's saying, return to joy in the Lord. And again, I say, return to joy. It's powerful. Another amazing passage, Zephaniah 3.17, if we go there. So God is just releasing understanding to us. He's upgrading our lenses that joy is something that we uh, get to explore as part of his kingdom. And it's something that we get to return to. Zephaniah 3, 7. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. King James. I love this, actually. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will joy over thee with singing. So I want to say this to you, when God himself is delighting in you and when God himself is returning to joy over you, what else is there left to say? I want you to imagine that for a moment. It says God himself returns to joy over you when he looks at you, when he sees you 24-7, he's singing over you, returning to joy over you and sings over you. Have you heard the God song over your life recently? Have you heard another song? We're, uh, we're getting some feedback here. So God's calling us to rediscover joy in an unparalleled level, not because of something that we have, but because it has its source in him and we have access to it. And, you know, we have to make room for his joy. I, you know, I believe there's moments to be somber. You know, Scripture says weep with those that weep, right? Um, and there's times to be silent before God. 
And these are all, all parts of our multifaceted walk with him. But I don't believe we're to engage those things because they're more important than joy. It's just simply not true. Sometimes we've, we've elevated some of those things and we've put joy to the sideline. I think God's calling us again, a divine invitation back to joy. So my hope today is that this message will transform the way that you look at joy and you'll see him as a God of joy. So, um, so just identifying some key takeaways, some key ideas. Um, I want to underscore firstly for you, I've said it already, but I want to underscore it for you that joy is an attribute of God himself. Joy is an attribute of God himself. <clears throat> so by default, as the creator, as the originator of everything that we see here, invisible and invisible, um, he must be by default the most joyful being that ever existed or will ever exist. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. He must be by default the most joyful being that has ever existed or will ever exist. And we experience joy because he's just being himself. He's just being joyful. He's, he, he maybe wouldn't describe it like that. We call it joy. God's just emanating and he's being himself. And we experience what we call joy. Started with him. And um, if we look at the whole story, look at the whole God story, the whole meta-narrative of God, he bookended this story with two images of joy. Started with the garden, with a paradise, Incredible beauty. Imagine the most beautiful scene you've ever seen in the earth and multiply it by about a thousand times. It was Eden, perfect. And then an incredible wedding feast at the end when everything's wrapped up. So God chose to bookend history with these two images. Those, those are the lang that's the language that God chose to use. A garden paradise and heaven where every tear will be wiped away and we get to have an incredible marriage feast. It's going to be like a feast and a celebration that we've never experienced before. So God's demonstrating to us his intent to us, garden, paradise, and a feast. And let's look at this, Job 38.4, if you can turn there with me. This is a creation passage and I love this. Job 38.4 says, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. When the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. This is amazing to me. Did you catch it? It says, as God spoke, let there be light into the uncreation. All of the angels, that's thousands upon thousands, the book of Revelation tells us. All of the angels, what? Shouted for joy. As God spoke into uncreation and said, let there be light, and creation started happening, all the angels stood and watched and shouted for joy. When the last time you shouted for joy? You know, we've all experienced shouts for joy, right? I, there's some people in my life that just have it when it comes to shouting for joy. Shereen and I have a best friend and she just, she's the shouting for joy queen. <laughs> it just gets on you when you're around her. And I just remember my boys when they were little, you know, four or five years old, I'd come home every day and they would just run, 
right? They would run, tackle me, dad, shouting for joy. Um, that's in the uh, historic annals of time a long time ago. <laughs> I, now, I now have to remind them of who I am. I'm like, hello, we, we spoke this morning, dad, dad. Not really, they're great, they're great guys. When I can get their earbuds out. What happened? I, I don't know. I, I hadn't changed. I'm, I'm the same. <laughs> Yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> so joy had its beginning in God. It's an inseparable part of who he is. The question is, have you received him as the God of joy? Have you received him as the God of joy? And, and this is not about adding something that's a to-do list of the Christian life. You know, um, be perfect, obey all the scriptures, be kind to people, and by the way, be joyful too. By the way, be joyful. It's something that is inviting us into as an extension of who he is. It's something that is inviting us into as an overflow of what he is. And, and just like the Zephaniah passage, he's, he's returning to joy over us. He's not asking us to do something that he's not already doing and not already done. It's pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, we see evidence of the God of joy in creation. We've talked about that. But um, there's also evidence of his joy in the inauguration of the new creation. It says of Jesus in Hebrews 12 too, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? The joy set before him was relationship, you and I in relationship with the Father restored. There was a greater yes. There was a greater yes in the vision of Jesus. There was a greater joy that enabled him to endure what he had to endure in order to see the promise. There was a greater yes so that you and I would be God carriers, so that, you, so that he wouldn't have to no longer live in buildings, but he would live in his church. There was a greater yes. There was a greater yes. And um, God made a way so that the joy that was permanently in him would be forever sealed in his people by the Spirit. God, God was making a way not only for us to be carriers of him, not only us to be carriers of this kingdom, not only for us to represent the Father, but along with that, for the joy that's always been in him to, to be sealed in us forever by his spirit. So you're getting a picture of this. This is, not, this is not something we have to strain to release. This is not something that we have to put on the end of our to-do lists. This is something that we get to explore in the kingdom, the righteousness, peace, and joy that is in the kingdom and available to us by the Holy Spirit. What, the, the, the list of the fruits of the Spirit, what's the second one? Right. Love, joy. But you haven't thought about that in a while, I hadn't. I think about peace a lot, I think about being kind, I think about patience, but joy, it's kind of this anomaly. It's God's bringing it back to the forefront for us. It's a divine invitation into divine joy. And, you know, I think as the church, we can't entertain any portrayal of God that doesn't make room for his joy in his dealings with us and in his dealings with the world. 
I think it's such an incredible um, integrated part of who he is, as I've been explaining to you, that I don't think we can separate out his joy. So joy is an attribute of God himself, okay? First place. Secondly, I wanna highlight this. Jesus was the ultimate joy carrier. Jesus was the ultimate joy carrier. You know, from the first biblical predictions about him, um, the message of his birth, joy was evidence in the announcements. You know, Luke 2.10. We're gonna say this a lot in this coming season. The angel made the pronouncement. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Fortunately, it's kind of can become cliche for us, but we don't want to miss the joy multipliers in there. The announcement, good news, great joy, all people. 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 Good news. Great, magnificent, massive, unexplainable joy for a select few. (laughs) Good news, great joy, all people. It's pretty powerful. And so through the sun and through the it is finished, why, why was the angel so excited about this pronouncement? Obviously, he'd been the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. This was the announcement that the sun was coming. But through the sun and the it is finished, God would seal forever the joy that was inherent in himself into his people. And so let's look at uh, uh, Jesus in his earthly ministry. He released a lot of joy. You thought about that? And not not just intellectually speaking, not just conceptually, but actually, he was the ultimate joy carrier. Um. He just went around releasing on people unexpected and unexplained and undeserved miracles. Unexpected, undeserved kindness. Unexpected, undeserved grace. Where things were so upside down, broken and miserable, he just came and he turned it around. He was the wow factor. And he he changes people with outrageous acceptance. Inconceivable restoration extravagant healings. We have to take our 21st century quiet time lenses off. I do it, you do it. We read scripture and we brush, we brush past things all the time. Um, I want you to put yourself inside the story of one of the lepers for a minute. Put yourself inside the story, inside the stories. Um, if you're a leper, you had an, an incurable disease. The end was horrible and people cry unclean every time you walk past according to Mosaic law. Every time you walk past. Unclean. Unclean. Watch out, unclean is coming. And some of you have heard those voices. And then Jesus comes along. Jesus comes along, first of all, he touches them, which is unimaginable for a leper at that time. He touches them, the power and the compassion and the dynamism of the living God. 
flows through him, flows out of him. He had that river of living water that he promised we would have and he touches them and they're completely restored. Can you imagine how overwhelming and how grateful and how thankful and how dynamic and how, dare I say, joyful that moment would be? And there's the man who is leaping, jumping and praising God in Acts 3.6. Again, someone else we sing children's songs about, at least in England. We have one about the lump, jumping, leaping and praising man. Acts 3, 6, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Can you imagine that? He's lifting him up and bones begin to crack and strength begins to come into his legs and into his ankles. And he stands by himself. He jumped to his feet. <laughs> He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. I just want you to imagine that for a minute. When all the people saw him walking and praising, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging. It's his transformation, begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. His, his leaping, jumping and praising was not an intellectual response. It wasn't a rehearsed running and leaping. It wasn't a planned running and leaping. It wasn't a planned one hand raised on a Sunday morning. It was an explosively large running into the streets, loud running, leaping and praising. Uh, who would not have smiled? Would you have smiled? Maybe your mouth would have dropped open like mine did at the Grand Canyon. Maybe a laugh would have popped out. Maybe a shout. Maybe a no way. Jesus was the ultimate joy carrier. And finally, um, just like Jesus was like his father, you were called to be like your father. So joy is an attribute of God. Jesus was the ultimate joy carrier and we are created to be joy yes. distributors. Yes. You were created to be a joy distributor. So the kingdom of God's an inside out kingdom, right? Meaning that it's inside of us and it wants to get out. Yeah, that righteousness, peace and joy of the kingdom is on the inside of you and it wants to get out. Um, joy then for you and me is this inside furnishing of the Holy Spirit. Joy is permanently on the inside of us. If we'll connect with it. If we'll connect with it. If we'll connect with it. Galatians 5, love, joy. Jesus said it this way, John 15, as the Father loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll abide in my love as I've kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. That my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. Um, you know, for me, I received an impartation of joy at salvation. There was, there was a definite um, release of joy in my salvation experience. I was pretty depressed and I got born again radically and there was an injection of joy that happened. But since then, hundreds of times, there've been encounters with the Holy Spirit that have released um, deposits of joy on the inside of me that were tangible and that remained with me after I'd experienced it. Um, 
I was, um, went to the Brownsville Revival in 97 and people were repenting a lot at that revival. In Toronto, people were laughing a lot and in Brownsville, people were repenting a lot and both were great. Um, but in Brownsville, I was just so hungry and I'd go up and get prayer probably about 15 times a night. <laughs> I wasn't hungry for joy, I was hungry for God. I was like, I have to have God. And I'd go up and get prayed for and I'd, I'd collapse on the ground and I'd get up again and I'd go for more prayer. And I'd fall on the ground and got to do stuff and I'd get up again and I'd go for more prayer. I'd literally go 12 or 15 times a night. By the end of the night, I was so saturated. I couldn't really walk. I couldn't really talk. I was, uh, I was saturated with joy. And they just, they, someone would carry me to my car drive me home, well, their car, drive me home, the people I was staying with, and they'd just lay me on my bed, and I'd wake up the next morning. I did that for two weeks. I'd just go up for prayer. I was hungry. I'd just go up for prayer 15, 15 20 times a night and just get impartation, just give me more. I was just a crazy guy. Pray for me again. And I'm telling you, there was a deposit of joy that broke into my life that was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. Yeah, I'd received joy at salvation that changed me, but there were deposits. And so I want to say to you that um, this was not just for me. It was for me, but it was not just for me. It was an encounter so I could be an encounter. It was an encounter so I could be an encounter, yeah. So if Jesus says his desires that our joy would be full, it means that joy can be measured. If we can be full, then we can be empty. If we can have a lot, then we can have a little. So if Jesus showed us the Father's intent, the Father's intent for you is that you're full of joy, that your joy remains and your joy is full, then we know it can be measured. And uh, just finishing off here, but 1 Peter 1.8 takes us further. It says this, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Inexpressible and glorious what? I don't know if you're just seeing these scriptures through a new lens. I was when I began to study this out. You're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Just not a trickle, not an inch, but you're filled. This is enough for us and enough to give away. And uh, you're designed to be a distributor of joy because... Um, Although maintaining personal joy is a, is a crucial necessity and it's something that we need to lean into. It's not the boundary for joy that God's intended for our world. Thank you for listening to the Sojourn Church podcast. For more messages or content similar to this, please visit our website. If you would like to support our ministry, please visit the first link in the show description or visit sojournchurch.org give.